Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, by whose wounds we are healed. Every once in a while, a new book about Jesus is published, explaining, so they say, what Jesus was really up to during his life on this earth and his ministry. Sometimes these books will use the phrase, the historical Jesus. Sadly, the authors of such books fail to realize that we don't need another book about Jesus and what his life was all about, because we already have four that were written by people who actually knew him. And the Apostle Paul, also in his letter to, first, er, letter to Timothy, explains what Jesus was up to quite eloquently when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now we can go into why that was necessary and how he did it, but that's really what it comes down to. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If we were to escape the punishment that our sins deserve, someone was going to have to take that punishment and swallow it down. And that's exactly what he did. But sinners also need to know that they've been rescued. They need to be attached by faith to the salvation that was won to them. And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, one of the very first things that he did on this earth was to go about teaching the gospel, telling people what the Savior was going to do. No doubt he was very aware of his mission. No doubt with each person that he came in contact with, he was thinking, how am I going to share the message of sins forgiven with this person? What walls do I have to knock down first so that their heart will receive this message? Well, today we get to see Jesus patiently reaching out to one sinful woman who needed to know God's love and the Savior that he had sent for her. We read from John chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and now and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. Jesus and his disciples had gotten up early that morning to get on the road before the blistering sun was too high. And they had made good time traveling from down by Jerusalem up toward Galilee. And so at around noon, they stopped to rest and to get some lunch. Now, as the disciples went into town, Jesus sat down by an ancient well. And soon, a woman of Samaria came out to get water. And of course, this was a Samaritan woman. For reasons we won't go into, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. In fact, most Jews would have taken a very different route to get up to Galilee. They would have hugged the Jordan River instead, which was a more difficult journey, but they would have done that just so they could avoid coming into contact with any Samaritans. This is why it struck this woman odd that Jesus was here, this Jew, and that he would speak to her asking for water. Jesus broke precedent by doing this. He broke good Jewish decorum because he didn't just see a Samaritan woman. He saw a sinful woman who needed to know her Savior. It was a little thing to start a conversation, but in the end it would mean the world to this woman and to a lot of other people. But it didn't start out very well. 
At first, the woman responded rather coldly. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She was rather rude, but Jesus didn't mind. He didn't worry about her snarkiness, but immediately he started to turn the conversation away from the whole Jew versus Samaritan controversy. And he started to hint at the gift that he had to share. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus sidesteps the cultural squabble and he starts to work on cutting through this woman's defensive posture. Now, of course, you and I, we understand what Jesus is talking about here right away. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Savior. He has forgiveness from God to offer to this woman. But she doesn't understand what he's talking about. Her mind is still clouded with animosity toward all things Jewish. And you can see the, the con condescending attitude that many Jews had for the Samaritans and the ways that she responds to him. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He's the one who gave us this well, and he drank from it. Essentially, she's saying, so who exactly do you think you are? Oh, you're a Jew. Oh, I see. Well, where are you going to get this water of life that you're talking about? You don't even have a bucket to draw with. You just asked me for water, and now you're going to give me water? But again, Jesus isn't frustrated by her defensive posture. He's not thinking about insults to himself. He's thinking about how desperately she needs to know her Savior. And so there's no resentment in his voice when he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will be in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And again, we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. We know that all people long to know God, to exist in a relationship with him that is untainted by sin. There's a hole in every person's heart that only God can fill. And a relationship with him is only possible through Jesus, who suffered for our sins and covers up our sin with his righteousness. We know that faith in Christ is like an artesian well that keeps on bubbling up. Only it doesn't just keep on bubbling up water. It provides an endless source of forgiveness and peace. But the Samaritan woman was only just beginning to understand that Jesus might be, might be talking about something other than well water here. And her next words seem to be laced with sarcasm. At least that's the way I read them. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
Perhaps this was her attempt to quiet an unusual Jew. Okay, go ahead and give me this wonderful gift, this water that you say that you have, which I don't see where you'd possibly be getting it from. But hurry up, let's get this silly conversation done with. It's hard to say what thoughts and emotions were going through this woman's head during this conversation with Jesus. But the next thing that Jesus says to her rattles her, to say the least. He says, go call your husband and come here. This was a sore spot with the woman. And so she responds shortly, just saying, I have no husband. And then calling upon his divine knowledge of all things, Jesus says, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, divorce wasn't foreign to the Jewish culture, but the Jews figured, well, a woman might, might get divorced, you know, a couple times, or maybe at most three, but five times, and the and she wasn't married to the man that she was with now? Some have surmised that the whole reason this woman came out to this well in the middle of the hot day was because she didn't want to be judged by other people. By revealing her past, Jesus cut through her complacent attitude, that attitude of, I don't need anything from you. Whatever the exact details of her past were, Jesus reminds her here that she's a sinner who needs a Savior. And this is something that we're going to need to do when we talk to other people about Jesus, too. If we can start that conversation, we're going to need, at some point, to help people understand that there's a difference between right and wrong. And that God is the one who establishes what right and wrong is. And that all sin offends him. But there's still more static that Jesus needs to get through before touching this woman's soul. With the divine revelation of her past plopped in front of her like this, the Samaritan woman finally understood that this wasn't just some stuck-up Jew. This was a prophet. This was a holy man. And so she, she seems to search her mind for a question to ask him. The one she comes up with is, where should we worship? You know, we Samaritans say that we should worship here on this mountain, but you guys say that you should only worship in Jerusalem, on that mountain. But Jesus doesn't even answer her question. Instead of expounding on the outward details of where to worship, Jesus explains to her what true worship really is. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Well, if we're going to worship in spirit, then we have to do it from the heart, from the spirit, from who we are. We can't just have our worship be outward things. 
I mean, there's a whole lot of worship that is just outward that goes on on weekends, right? People come to different sanctuaries and they stand and they pray and they sit and they sing and they put money in the collection plates and they listen and and then when the time's over, then they go and move on to the next thing. But if it's only outward, it's not the worship that God wants. It's not worship at all. We have to engage the soul, who we are. And there are a lot of people across the globe who worship truly from the heart. But they worship something that isn't God. And that isn't what God wants either. I suppose you could say that worship from the heart is better than fake worship, but if the, worship is, if the worshiper is genuinely worshiping a tree or some false god or some man-made thing or themselves, then that's not the worship that God wants either. He wants us to worship him. And that isn't too much to ask since he's the one who made us, preserves us, the one who redeemed us. To worship in spirit and truth means to worship the God of the Bible from the heart. To look inside of ourselves and see our great need of a Savior. And to look to God and know that in Jesus, that Savior has been provided. This is what God wants. This is true worship of him. Now this was a lot to take in. Maybe too much for this woman from Samaria. It was so much bigger than her. And so it was with a different tone that she replied to Jesus, saying, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So the conversation that had started with Jesus asking her for water ends with Jesus giving her the water of life. He says, I who speak to you am he. Now there were more words after this. If you remember the story, there were more conversations. And the woman ended up going back into her town and bringing out the whole townspeople to see if this might be the Messiah. And they end up asking him questions and having him stay with them for a couple of days in the heart of this Samaritan country. And through Jesus' teaching, many of them came to believe that he was indeed the Messiah that so many people had been waiting for. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you a sinner? Then he came to save you. And that's what he did. He took the cross on his shoulders and he preached the gospel of forgiveness wherever he went and to whoever he went, he met. And he still does this. He still preaches the gospel message through churches like ours and through the mouths of his servants wherever they go to sinners like you and me. To sinners like that Samaritan woman. Thank God.
that Jesus wasn't the worldly-minded figure that secular historians describe. This is the historical Jesus, the one that we've just read about. The God-man who suffered on the cross to save sinners. The patient teacher who offers the gift of forgiveness to one and all. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.